this morning with God's help, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Uh, this is a part 2, if you will, of our first introduction. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. May God uh, give us grace now to hear his word. His word is faithful and true. Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. And now, to the preaching of his word, let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Spirit, be with us now as we consider the light that has been given to us amidst the darkness and the goodness, Lord, that is revealed, unveiled by you by providing light to those who are dead in darkness. Lord, give us ears to hear and give us eyes that see. Give us hearts and minds that understand, believe, and love. And dear God, give us hands and feet that obey. I decrease to me, increase me. The words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Saints of God, um, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but we will, for the most part of our sermon this morning, this sermon this morning, we will be in Acts chapter 18. So if you'd like to turn there, uh, I will be referencing the... Uh, the birth, if you will, of the church at Corinth revealed to us in chapter 18 of Acts, chapter 18. Uh, <clears throat> Saints, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our worship through the apocalypse of John. I'm sorry, the the letter, it, forgive me, it's been a couple of years, uh, the letter uh, from Paul to the church at Corinth. And we come this morning to the the opening words of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, the opening verses. Well, what are the opening verses? Uh, many would say they are a greeting. But I, by I think by the grace of God, I would also say that they are much more than a greeting. I would say that Paul's opening greeting from uh, to the saints at Corinth are a powerful witness to the absolute love and goodness and mercy of God. For in the first verses, we are told that God has provided light and that his light has shone in the darkness. Now, let me look at those first verses and say, how in the world did you get that? These are a simple words of greeting. And I do believe, saints of God, that these are far more than a simple, these are far more than simple words of greeting. It is a declaration of God's grace and mercy. And because of his love, or for because of his love, he did not abandon those who were living in Corinth but sent to them a light to dispel their darkness. The people, in living, people living in Corinth, prior to the Apostle Paul stepping foot on that land, 
they were void of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ prior to the Apostle Paul being sent to the city of Corinth. There was no light there. Christ is the light of the world. Those who follow him shall never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life, Jesus says in John 8. And Christ said that if anyone loves him, he will follow his word and his father will love him. And they, father, son and spirit, the one God will make their abode in that believer, John 14. Those who are indwelt by the divine persons are filled, therefore, with the light of God. They no longer walk in darkness. They are no longer walking in the blindness of their soul, but their eyes have been opened to see the light of Christ. And what do these who were formerly blind, what do they do with their light and with their new sight? What do they do with it? Jesus on his sermon on the mount says, you are the light of the world. Christ has declared that he is the light of the world. And if you believe in him, he will live in you. Therefore, then you become the light of the world. And, and what do we do with that light? You remember the, the little song, right? You let it shine. Verse 16 of Matthew 5. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven when one has been given light, God commands that they shine that light. When one has been given light, God commands that they not only shine that light, but by shining light, you share light. You have, I don't know about your home, but in our home recently in Bakersfield, um, our lights have gone off a few times. And it only takes one of our kids or my wife holding a flashlight not me holding it, but her holding it or them holding it. And them holding life, light is enough for me to have light. When someone has light, they share that light. They can't help but allow that light to be shared by others to others. The sharing of that, of that light is both an act of obedience and also a desire rooted in love. Meaning, when our eyes have been opened to see, to believe in Christ, we are commanded to share with others how they can also be cured of their blindness. And this, this sharing is the desire that we have. But we want others to see. It, it would be wrong if my wife or my children, uh, when it goes dark in the house as it has, when the lights have gone out, if they turn on the light and then shut the door and don't let me in. This is my light. I'm going to let it shine for me. Right. It would be wrong of my wife or my children to say this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine for me, not for you. I won't share my light. It's, it's wrong. Right. Why? Because light is a gift. Light is a gift from God. And it would be wrong for us to say, but it's my light and you can't have any. You're not the source of your light, are you? God is the source of your light. And therefore, it is good for you to say, I freely received something. And therefore, I'm commanded to also freely give it as well. 
This light of yours, you let it shine and you let it shine for all to see, Jesus says. Let your light shine so that all men may see. And, and when they see, give glory to God because of your good works. You have light and then because of the light that you have, you share it for all men to see. And you also experience the good that is provided by that light. We are commanded to share with others how they can be cured of their blindness. We want people to see. We want to share out of a debt of gratitude what we have been given by God, who in his absolute love and goodness did not withhold light from us when we were dead in the darkness of our sin. We take the light that has been given to us and we, if you imagine a torch, we take that light and we extend it into dark places. Or we take a flashlight and and we extend it so that people can see. Um, my, my dear wife at night when we put the kids down and we walk down the hallway, she will do the sweet thing. When I don't have my phone, she will have her phone in her hand and she will turn the phone to the hallway so that I can see my next step. Because it's usually going to be a marble in front of me or some kind of toy that I'm going to step on. She, she will shine that light down the hallway for my feet to see. Because God is good to us. We respond with goodness to others. Dear ones, Paul's opening words to the church of Corinth are a declaration that light has been shown in the darkness of Corinth. That, that God has extended, if you will, his goodness to the people living in Corinth, the people, the people dying in darkness. And Paul has been compelled by God to extend the goodness given to him to others. And Paul sharing that goodness is a work of God showing that that God is in fact sharing that goodness. It is not just Paul. It is God within Paul sharing that goodness to others. It pleased the Lord that while Saul was on his way to Damascus, that he would, that God would, would blind him with his light from heaven. And that the light would be so brilliant that it would knock the former Pharisee off of his high horse bringing him to his knees. And God would take sight from the one who believed with all of his heart that he was seeing clearly. Saul was dead in darkness. But God showed saving kindness to Paul. Not only giving him sight, but giving him light. Spiritual eyes to see that Jesus Christ is in fact the light of the world. And with this this new sight, with this, this new vision... The Lord was also entrusting Paul with a torch of his own. Take the light that has been given to you and carry it onward. Paul was given a torch that he would be, uh, that he would be called or sent into dark places where he would call those who were also living and in, in dying in darkness as he was dead in darkness to show how they can be raised to life, to join him in the light of Christ, to, to rise. And join him in the light of Christ. Saints of God. The people in Corinth. Who were walking but dead in darkness. Were shown great love from God. The triune God. When he revealed his goodness to them. By sending them light. It's powerful when you think of it. There was no light there in Corinth. Until one day. A man jumped off of a boat. Stood upon the shores of the city. Took a look around. And begin to see this or do this. It's dark here. And begin to pull out his light and walk forward. No light. Until the man of God sent by God with light. Steps onto the shores of that city. 
and begins to point the light forward. By the grace of God, by the will of God. The Apostle Paul is responding to, to God's, the Lord Jesus' call, Acts chapter 1-8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my light bearers. You will be my, the, those who hold my torch and walk forward in darkness, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest parts of the earth. And now here is Paul, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness in what was at that time a remote part from Israel of the world, the city of Corinth. A city that was engulfed in darkness, shown great mercy. Because to this city that was dead in darkness, God provided light. Uh, if you want to point from this whole sermon, that God provides light in darkness. Uh, what's the point? I, I hope that I'm going to give you some, some facts in a moment. But I hope that you don't lose this to the facts that God provides light to those who are in darkness. The letter to the, to the church written in Corinth, I'm going to give you some, some, I'm going to get these out of the way and I'm never going to, I don't know. It's probably written sometime between 54 AD and 55 AD. Saints of God, when you hear the word AD, it does not mean after death. When you hear the words AD, it does not mean after death. Rather, it means Anno Domini. Uh, those of you who speak Spanish might hear the Latin influence there. Not beginning with the death of Christ, but beginning with the incarnation of Christ, the life of Christ. Anno Domini means the year of our Lord. Every year after the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ is called the year of our Lord. So this letter was written probably 21 or 22 years after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not after the death of Christ, but after the resurrection of Christ. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, begins when Christ became incarnate. When Christ took on, when Christ assumed our flesh. Not after death, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. It is most likely written by Paul from Ephesus while he was ministering to the church there uh, in Ephesus. The church of Corinth was established on Paul's second missionary journey. The apostle Paul comes to Corinth after he leaves Athens. You remember that he had this famous interaction with the, the philosophers of the day there at the Areopagus. Uh, St. Luke records this for us in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 18, after these things, after he leaves Athens, he goes to Corinth. This will be the first time, at least that is recorded, that the apostle comes to Corinth, and again, it is the first time that the light of the gospel has been shown Provided to the city that was there dead in darkness. When Paul, along with Luke, his brethren in the faith and traveling companion, arrive in the city, he begins to walk forward with that torch that I spoke of. And as he begins to walk forward, he begins to observe with that light, as he begins to, to see what is in front of him. He, he begins to get, get a, not only a sense of the rhythm of the life there in Corinth, but a sense of just how dark it is. Remember that from the perspective of heaven, this is a dark place. But from the perspective of earth, it was a thriving place. A port city. Um, if you know anything about port cities, uh, historians say that, that Corinth at this time was, was a combination between of San Francisco, New Orleans, and Las Vegas all rolled up into one. 
Remember, from the perspective of earth, it's a thriving city. It's a port city. The perspective of heaven is a dead and dark city. See, that Corinth has a long ancient past. It, it, it was um, thriving until it was destroyed by the Romans, specifically by a super army called the Spartans in what was called the Corinthian War. The city lay in ruins for over a hundred years until Julius Caesar rose to power and he saw that the, the location of Corinth, it's located on what's called an isthmus, um, and I'll, I'll talk about what that is in a moment, that because of its location, it had um, great financial potential. It's located on this narrow neck of land uh, in Greece so that it's a harbor city and that if anybody wants to go east, west or, or north, south, or east, yeah, it's, it's sat between north, south and east, west, which made it a perfect place for business and trade. If you think about port cities, one of the reasons why they thrive is because there are so many boats coming in and out that are there for commerce. So it was said that if you wanted to get anywhere during that time, you needed to go through Corinth. A hundred years before Paul brought light to the city, Julius Caesar began to establish this city as a Roman colony. The population, the people who began to live there, consisted of newly freed slaves. And they began to live there in Corinth. Retired soldiers who were looking for a peaceful life. And then lastly, tradesmen. Laborers. Tradesmen, people who were coming in and out of the city. And then laborers, those who were working to rebuild the city. The city was literally under construction. Which means that there were plenty of opportunities for employment. If you were looking for a job, you could find one in Corinth. Because there were many to be had. It was a blue-collar city. Remember, Paul's walking forward. He's seeing the darkness. He's evaluating these things. From the perspective of heaven, it's dark. From the perspective of earth, it's thriving. The city made up not of those who are noble, Paul will say. Not of those who are wise, Paul will say. Like those whom he just left in Athens. But people who are becoming rich through labor. People who were widely influenced by many different uh, cultures that were booming into that city. During that time, it is said that the population was about 70 to 90,000, which is a large amount, considering today that there's only about 15 to 20 who live there, thousand. Business was not only the, the, the only game there in town, but Corinth was the first Greek city to have Roman gladiator games. They also, every two years, held something like the Olympic Games. It was called the Isthmian Games. So when you look around the city from the world's perspective, it's a thriving city. It's a fun city. One of those places that you might say, let's go there and vacation. Among all of the diverse cultures and the Olympic Games and the uh, employment, there was also diverse pagan gods. Paul is walking forward into that city with that light he is seeing that there are many, many forms of worship in this city. They could find the, the false pagan gods from Egypt there, from Rome there, from Greece there. Many temples were erected to those pagan gods. And among all of those pagan gods, the most popular stood 2,000 feet above the city, almost as if it, almost as if it was the demon that was, that was over that city, if you will. It was the 
temple to the pagan, false goddess of love and entertainment. Her name was Aphrodite or Venus. We'll get more into um, her influence, that demonic influence in that city. But it was almost as if Paul walking through that city is seeing the darkness and then looks up and sees Satan having his, his, his claws upon that city. Almost as if Satan saying, this city is mine. And Christ sends his light to say, no, I am claiming this city and I am taking people from this city for myself. And I have sent my light into this city. Among them, of all the temples, there was also a Jewish synagogue. A place where the law and the prophets would have been read and taught. A place where those who gathered would have been encouraged to long for Hamashiach, which is King Messiah. And it was to that synagogue, as, as Paul is seeing, he finds a place where he's going to begin. Paul, carrying that light, finds a place where he is going to begin to bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. A place where he is going to begin to bring his light. And he goes first to the Jews. That's what Paul says in Romans. is it First to the Jews, and then to the Greeks, and then to the Gentiles. Paul goes to the Jews there. And the scriptures say that, that Sabbath after Sabbath, he carried a torch into the synagogue. The torch of the gospel. And he began to reason with those who were meeting there. Concerning their Messiah, the only Messiah, that Christ, the one who you are looking for, that he has come and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. Men and women made in the image of God, they would have been attracted to this four mile wide space of land because they believed that they were going to prosper there. But many and I use that word, um, I use that word purposely, many had no idea that their coming to Corinth was ordained by God so that they would no longer walk in darkness but be offered the light of the gospel. They came there because they said, um, from the perspective of earth, it's a, it's a prospering place. But they had no idea that God was using the prosperity of the world to draw them to true abundant life, life in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing how God works. It's amazing how God will use things and use places that we were least expecting, use people that we were least expecting to meet to bring us to himself. God has his light bearers. He has his, his, those who are holding his torch throughout the world to bring you to himself. But why did Paul go to Corinth? The Lord reveals the reason why. It's a very simple reason. Acts chapter 18 verse 10, he says, I have many people in this city. Not a few. I've got many people in this city. Paul was into the, into the darkness to call God's people into the light. It's not immediately revealed to Paul. It's something that, that progressively becomes clear to him. Luke records that when Paul arrived in Acts 18, when Paul arrived in Corinth, he would regularly go to the synagogue on the Jewish Sabbath. That is Saturday after Saturday for them. And he would reason with Jews and Greeks, seeking to persuade them concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was most likely when Paul was witnessing in the synagogue in Corinth that he met a Jewish man named Aquila. Who was from Pontus, which is a Persian city, but who was living in Rome. And got kicked out of Rome because of an uprising there in Rome. Him and his wife, another Jew, Priscilla. 
It's possible that um, Aquila and Priscilla came to faith prior to meeting Christ. But if not, they would have come to Christ after hearing Paul's faithful witness in the synagogue, Sabbath after Sabbath. They soon learned that they shared a common trade, tent making. And they displayed hospitality to Paul by allowing Paul to stay with them in their home in Corinth while he was there. Acts chapter 18 verse 3. Uh, this married couple would continue to be a great source of encouragement throughout the ministry and life of Paul. The apostle continued to reason synagogue after synagogue. And then the scriptures say that Silas and Timothy arrived. So if you imagine Paul, he, he is there. He, he's he's um, making do with what he has. He's throughout the week, he's working and he's making tents along with his new co-workers and also fellow believers Aquila and Priscilla. And then on Saturdays, the Jewish Sabbath, he is going and reasoning with those who have not yet seen the light of Christ until Silas and Timothy come. You've heard of Silas and you've heard of Timothy. These brothers, they come down from Macedonia. And they come down for two reasons. They come to offer spiritual support. Paul is trying to do something in Corinth. Paul is there because he believes that God has sent him there. He is reasoning and bringing the gospel there. So Paul is making a home for himself, at least a temporary home. And Silas and Timothy come to support our brother in his ministerial efforts, but also to support our brother financially as well. They come and they bring him financial support. Which is why the scriptures say that after this time, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word. Solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Prior to the financial support, Paul was only able to do this Sabbath after Sabbath. But when support came, Paul completely devoted himself to the preaching of his word, which means um, sun up, probably knowing Paul, to sundown, seven days a week, Paul was preaching the gospel. He did not have to worry about working with tents. We'll get to this later in, in, in Corinth. Instead, he completely devoted his time to the ministry of the word. The case for Jesus being the long-awaited Christ was now all of Paul's focus in Corinth. He was afforded the time to completely devote to the preaching of the word. Paul himself, being a Jew, longed for his countrymen to see the light of Christ, to believe in Christ as Savior. He says in Romans 9, I wish that I myself could be accursed for... for, for I wish... That I myself were accursed from Christ, cut off from Christ for my brethren, for my countrymen, according to the flesh. He wanted them to be saved so badly that he would he would allow himself to be cut off if it meant that they could be saved. Imagine Sabbath after Sabbath. Christ is the Messiah arguing from the scriptures. One of the most equipped men to do it ever. And then arguing throughout the week, Christ is the Messiah. He's the one that you have been waiting for. And in spite of the faithful preaching, saints of God, don't ever feel like you're, like you're not doing a good enough job. The apostle Paul presenting the, that Christ is Messiah. The apostle Paul, not just Sabbath, but throughout the entire week, reasoning that Christ is the Messiah. Christ is the Savior. That his preaching fell not only on resisting ears, but resisting ears 
that eventually blasphemed Christ with the tongue. In spite of life being offered to those who were dead in darkness, it was the will of God that they, remind, that they remained blind to the light of Christ. It's not because you're not doing something right. It's not because you need to, to memorize how to say it correctly. It's not because even you need to, to be more eloquent in the way that you speak. It is the will of God that some, that some remain blind. That some are not allowed to see the light of Christ. The scriptures say that, that Paul reasoned, that he ministered, but they resisted and they blasphemed. Acts chapter 18, verse 6. These Jews, they did not just resist the message. They did not just resist the message of the Holy Spirit, but they blasphemed the Lord of glory. The Messiah and Lord and Savior of the world. The very Messiah whom they had been waiting for. The one who was presented to them in love. They responded in the very same way that, the, that they did when Christ was before their eyes. It's why our Lord said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you, but you are not willing. They refused. And many, along with non-Jews as well, blasphemed the one who gave them life, breath, and all things. And Paul is appropriately, he's indignant because of their resisting, but also because of their blaspheming the one true God. Scriptures say in Acts 18.6 that he takes off his garments and he shakes them in front of them. Shaking all the dust, shaking every kind of interaction he's had with them. He shakes it off in front of them and says to them, your blood be on your own head. You ever want to say that to those whom you are sharing the gospel with? I've tried and I've tried. I am guiltless of your blood. The judgment of God will not fall on me for not sharing the gospel with you. I have tried. But he also says, I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. The shaking out of the garments is a symbolic of way of, of repudiating the person you are witnessing to. It's an ancient way of saying the, the new way, I'm done. It's the ancient way of saying, I'm done. I've done all that I can do. I've done all that I'm required that I uh, must do, and I will do it no more. There's a difference between sharing the gospel with those who are willing to hear and those who not only resist, but also blaspheme your God. Stop trying. When they blaspheme, not only just resist, when they also blaspheme, you stop trying. I shake my garments, as it were, off. From my responsibility to you. I've done what I was supposed to do. I'm done. Pray for them. Don't stop praying for them. But don't cast your pearls to them any longer. It appears as though Paul was. After this moment ready to leave Corinth. It appears as though he believes the church. That he would have loved to plant. There for the glory of God. Would not be planted. That, that the light that he had walked into Corinth with. Would go back with him to the next city. And that that city would remain in darkness. He met a few friends. He met Aquila. He met Priscilla. But the ministry to the Jews, that door is closed. And then Paul says something that, that he does not, I don't think, realize was prophetic at that moment. But we would become clearer as he continued on in his ministry. He says, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. 
it was in Paul's heart and mind the last time that he would make any more efforts with the Jews. It was almost as if God was saying to Paul, I've not sent you to the Jews any longer. Now, now I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And Paul would be known as the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter, the apostle to the Jews. The next few verses give a picture of what the Lord was calling Paul to do. And also a reminder to Paul that his coming to Corinth was not a mistake. Look at Acts 7, uh, 18, 7. Then he left there. That there is a synagogue where he was witnessing, trying to give light. And he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice. The scriptures say a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Interesting. It's almost random. He leaves the synagogue and then goes next door to his friend's house. Um, Paul leaves the synagogue, goes to Titius Justice's house, a worshiper of God, which means a brother in Christ. But then Luke says something else that seems to be almost random. Look at verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all of his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. What's Luke doing? I'm reading this and I'm thinking, Luke, what? these are so random. Why is Luke mentioning, apparently out of nowhere, Crispus and his household believing and being baptized? Oh, notice that the household believed, which is a prerequisite for baptism. Um, that's, that's clear. But it's not just Titius or Crispus or his believing house, but Luke mentions that many of the Corinthians, upon hearing the gospel, believed and were baptized. Paul's getting to a point. What is it? Verse 9 of chapter, of chapter 18. The Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, don't be afraid any longer. He's in Corinth. He's just been shut down while at the synagogue. Sabbath after Sabbath, he's being shut down. Now he's spending the entire week sharing the gospel. And they are not only resisting, but blaspheming. Paul, in his mind, is saying, I'm done. But not only that, but Paul knows that his witness among the Jews has not always come by just mere reasoning. That The Jews, even to this day, they like to, they like to respond with ease. But there's something in the Jews that just goes... Put them up. I don't, you, you want to talk, I don't want to talk anymore. Just put them up. To this day, in Jerusalem, a Christian sharing the gospel is, will be threatened by violence by a person who is a, who is a practicing Jew because they somehow, some way can't just talk. They let, they, they, this is how they do their talking. And Paul knew that if he kept doing what he was doing, he was not going to just have reasoning arguments. He was going to be beaten up. He was going to have a fight. The Lord appears to Paul by night and says, don't be afraid any longer. But go on speaking and don't be silent. I'm with you. But listen to what else he says. No man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. The, the point is that it seems that Paul was on the brink of not just turning away from Corinth, but also that there were fears within his heart and mind that, that he might. And this may have been because of the type of interactions he was having. The next time I see those guys, they might just not want to talk anymore. That he expected the next time that he saw them, maybe he was going to be abused. 
And that the message would not just fall on deaf ears, but that because of beatings that he might get, he might go deaf. The Lord assures Paul, no, I'm not going to allow that to happen. You're not only safe. You're not only safe to keep speaking. But I've also got people here. And I need you to keep speaking to reach them. I've given you a light. And there's people here who are going to come to that light. I just need you to keep on walking to go get them. I just need you that as they're in the darkness ahead of you to shine that light upwards so they can see, turn around and say, thank you. I was lost. I did not realize that I was dead in this darkness until you showed me the light. And now and now I can see. The Lord says, don't stop talking. Don't stop speaking. You will be safe. Go get the guys that I sent you to get there. The Lord said many. The Lord assures Paul that, that his time there would not only be safe, but it would be fruitful. I've got many. I've got many there. The city that was plagued with darkness of false gods. I've got many there. The city that was plagued with sensuality and the allurement of wealth. God says, I've got many people there. Go get them. The city that was motivated by commerce and working hard to get ahead. That city. God says, I've got many people there walking in darkness. Go get. And listen, you know some of the background now. But is it any different than any city? You, you might have go, tell me all about Corinth. It's a lot like Bakersfield. Tell me all about Corinth. It's a lot like San Francisco. Tell me all about Corinth. It's a lot like every other city. I only did that just so that I could check that box off of the, I did that part. It's like every, and so that none of you would ask me, tell me more about Corinth. It's like every other city. Motivated by greed. Motivated by wealth. Motivated by sensuality. Motivated by the allurements of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Fueled by the lust of the eyes. Fueled by the lust of the flesh. Fueled by the pride of life. Isn't that every city? Because cities are not buildings. Cities are people. Everywhere you go, people are, who are not in Christ are fueled by these depraved things. So when you're looking at, tell me about Ephesus. Tell me about Thessalonica. Well, I'll, I'll do this. What do you know about people? Well, I know that people are greedy. Good. I know that people are fueled by, by lust of flesh, eyes, and Good. That's like every every city in, in Scripture. It's just like that. And in every one of those kinds of places, God has his people. Amen. In every one of those kinds of places, God says, go there with light, because amidst that darkness, I have been. God shows his mercy to city. There are no holy cities. The Vatican is not a holy city. The United States is not a holy nation. There's only one holy city. And it's all over the world. It is the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem in Israel. That's not the holy city. The one holy city, the new Jerusalem, is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ Catholic. She is the only holy city who is holy, being made holy, and who will be perfectly holy. There's only one holy city. You're actually in it right now. Not just because you're in this building, but because you are those who have been shown light and who have come to the light of Christ. You are in Christ, therefore you are his, his holy bride, his holy city. God has shined his light in our darkness.
And he calls people out of all of these dark cities to come to the one city, to be citizens of the one true holy city, the city of God. The point is that God reveals his goodness to people in Corinth and all over the world who are dead in darkness by giving us light. That's the point. So that we might see our sin, see the judgment of God, see the love and holiness of God. And come to the one who has provided for us a way of salvation in Christ Jesus. Amen. The light of the gospel. It shines. And those who have been given ears to hear and light to see come to him. Saints, the torch of the gospel has been carried to servants by servants of God from village to village, from town to town, from city to city, from metropolis to metropolis. And in, in those instances, the Lord is bidding his people to come. Come to the light. Come and know the one who has lived and died and risen and who will return and ascended in glory and will return in glory for you. Amen. Luke is making the point. By the, I got back to Luke. Luke was mentioning Crispus. He's, he's mentioning uh, Titius Justice. Why is he mentioning this? Why is he mentioning the, the house of, um, of Crispus who was uh, baptized after believing? Because he's saying that that Paul's time there wasn't a waste. Look, Paul, you're ready to go. But um, Aquila and Priscilla came to the light. Look, Paul, you're frustrated. You feel like you're spinning your wheels like, like no one is coming to the light. But Christmas did. And his house who believed, they also came. Paul, I know that you're frustrated. I, I know that... that that you feel like you're at your wit's end, but Titius Justice, every day that you were ministering in the synagogue, Titius, who lived next door, might have just gone outside at his door because he was next door and just went, hmm. Every day, hearing the Apostle Paul witness for Christ, Titius, all he had to do was look out his window. And through those simple sharings of light, God is calling his people. Watch this, though. It wasn't a type of revival like Pentecost. There wasn't um, however many thousand that came to Christ at Pentecost. It was just a few here and a few there. Through, through the sharing of light, uh, the the. The hearts of thousands weren't, weren't, weren't cut like, like at Corinth or, or like Pentecost. But the heart of Titus was cut. The heart of thousands were not cut to where they would say, tell me what I must do. But the heart of Christmas was cut. The heart of Sosthenes, uh, who later is beaten for his witness and who also is a co-writer, a, a co-signer of the church, to the church of Corinth letter, his heart was cut. When the Lord appeared to Paul in his vision, he says, Paul, I've got many. I've got many here. Do you know that, that scholars believe that the church, the, the uh, membership of the church there in Corinth is about maybe 40 people? The max, 150? In a city of 70 to 90,000, God says, but I've got many here. You remember that when the... the uh, the father of faith, Abraham, when he is speaking with the Lord, when he is pleading with the Lord, Lord, will you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah if there are 50 righteous? Will you destroy the, 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 that city if there are 40 righteous? And there's not even 10. But God says, I will not keep Corinth in darkness. 
Because I have some righteous there. And I am sending light so that light might shine. But check this out. Not only shine when Paul would go there, but there's a church in Corinth that remains to this day. Which means that light has been shining in Corinth for over 2,000 years. That it wasn't just 40 people there in Corinth, but the many for over 2,000 years that have been coming to Christ since there has been light in Corinth is countless. That God is in fact right when he says, I don't just have 40. I don't just have 150. I've got many in this city that will come to the light and be saved. Don't stop preaching. Don't stop sharing the light. It may be weird for us sometimes. When we go to the mission and there's four people there, go to the mission and there's one person there. You don't know what that light, you sharing that light with that one will do as you as they carry on that light to someone else. You don't know what it will do when you are on your job sharing light with someone who they will take that light to. Don't stop sharing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're a light bearer. You are holding the torch and it is your responsibility, your calling to shine it in dark places. Paul would stay there for a year and a half. Taking the light to those who were in the darkness. He would establish a church there, meaning that he would establish officers there, elders and deacons. He would establish right churchmanship, right liturgy. And when all those things were right, Paul would say, I think you're ready. I think you're ready to to worship now. And he would move on to the next place. Saints of God, the Lord declares that he had many in that city. The same can be true about Bakersfield, about Fresno, about California. About the United States, every country, every state, every town, every village, to the four corners of the world, may it be said of God, I have many people in this city. The light of Christ may it be shown in every corner of the world, and may this gospel be preached everywhere. When we spread light, it does not completely wipe out the darkness. It may not cause great revivals like Pentecost or Reformation or Great Awakening. But God will have his people come to himself. Paul, after establishing the church, training and elders, uh, training elders and deacons, took his leave on to the next city. And while he was in Ephesus, he receives word that the light in Corinth is being threatened. So he writes to the saints there to encourage them. Hold up that light. Don't let it be snuffed out and don't compromise it. The church of God, the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, who in every place call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to them in the beginning, light has been given to you. You are separated from. I know that you live in a city of darkness, but you are the light there. You have been called saints of Christ Jesus. You are those who join the faithful of all time as we call upon the name of our Lord. And Paul's declaration of the church to the church at Corinth is this. You have been shown light. Light has been given to you. It shines in that dark place. And don't forget that you are no longer in darkness. It surrounds you, but you are not in it. 
You are walking through it. Don't forget that. Right at the outset, right at the beginning, light has been given to you by one whom it was given to. So walk in that light. You have been set apart. You are saints. You are among those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't forget that. You do not belong to the darkness. You are set apart from it. You belong in the light. Church, if you could say, if if I was gone and I would say to, to you in the very beginning, you are set apart. You are not of the darkness. You are a saint. Don't forget that. Light has been given to you. Hold it. Hold it high. And don't forget that you are not of the darkness. You are the light. You are the light of the world. You are a city that is set upon a hill whose light is meant to shine in the darkness for all to see. It's a formal greeting, yes. But in that formal greeting, there is a powerful declaration. God has revealed his goodness to you by giving you light. Don't turn back to the darkness. It's a sweet declaration that they have been pulled away from the darkness. But remember this, it's always Satan's work, always his attempt to pull you back in. To draw some impossible back in. And Paul's reminder to them is this, but you've been set apart. You are a saint. To the church at Corinth is the church of all time. You have been set apart. You are no longer in the darkness. You are in the light. So walk in the light as Christ is in the light. Grace and peace to you. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray.